Section 36 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hope Force One. The World Story, Volume 8. Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva Marge Tappan. Section 36. The Bloodbath of Stockholm, 1520 by William Widgery Thomas Jr. To a Swede, the whole province of Del Carlia is sacred soil, for this was the scene of the wanderings, adventures, and hairbreadth escapes of the great Gustavus Vasa. Here he first induced his countrymen to rise and throw off the Danish yoke, and here he gained his first victories. The brilliant career of Gustavus was preceded by the bloodiest drama in Swedish history. Late in the autumn of 1520, Christian II, the Dane, was crowned King of Sweden in the Church of St. Nikolaus at Stockholm. The coronation was followed by festivities of more than usual brilliancy. For three days they were feasting and rejoicing without interruption at the palace, and tournaments were ridden by brave knights in the presence of the fair dames of the court. King Christian himself was in especial good humour. He struck hands with many of the guests, embraced and kissed them. On the fourth day, when the festivities were at their height, many of the first nobles of the kingdom, together with the chief burghers of Stockholm and some of the most distinguished prelates of the church, were suddenly summoned into the great hall of the palace. Here, to their utter astonishment, a charge of heresy was raised against them, and, on this flimsy pretext, the nobles and burghers were thrown into the dungeons of the tower, and the clergy imprisoned in a room by themselves. The next morning, Thursday, November 8, the trumpeters made proclamation throughout the city that no one, on pain of death, should go out of his house till the signal was given. Soldiers were drawn up along all the streets, Cannon were hauled into position around the palace, and their muscles pointed down the principal avenues. At noon, the gates of the palace were thrown open, and there marched forth a sorrowful procession. The best men of Sweden, surrounded by soldiers and executioners, first came the bishops, Vincentius and Matthias, clad in the ceremonial robes of the church. Next, senators in the regalia of office, followed by the mayors and council and chief citizens of Stockholm. They were conducted to the great marketplace hard by. Here the soldiers formed a hollow square around the doomed men. A forest of steel spears and halberds glistened above the closed ranks of the troops. Then a Danish councillor calls upon the populace 
not to be alarmed at what was about to take place, since these prisoners had sinned against the church. At this, Bishop Vincentius raised his voice and cried out, This is not true. I demand a legal trial. The king is a traitor to the Swedes, and God will punish him. Many others began to speak in the same way, and some prayed piteously that they might at least be permitted to receive the last sacrament, but all in vain. Their voices were drowned in the clamor of the mercenaries, King Christian, who, it is said, saw all that was taking place from a window of the council house, now gave orders that the execution should begin. Bishop Matthias was first led forth. As he knelt with hands pressed together and uplifted as in prayer, his own brother and his chancellor sprang forward to take a last farewell, but at that very moment the headsman swung his broadsword the bishop's head fell and rolled on the ground toward his friends, while his blood spurted from the headless trunk. Next, Bishop Vincentius was beheaded, and then the blows of the executioner's sword fell thick and fast upon the necks of the kneeling victims. Twelve senators and nobles were thus murdered, three mayors and fourteen of the Council of Stockholm, and then... In rapid succession, many of the most respected citizens. One of the bystanders, bursting into tears at the horrid spectacle, was instantly seized, his head cut off, and his body cast upon the great pile of dead. Some citizens were seized at their homes, dragged by the soldiery to the market, and executed. Eighty-two of the first men of the kingdom, the flower of Swedish nobility, and of the burgher class, were thus slain on that black Thursday, the 8th of November, 1520. This is the darkest day the beautiful capital of Sweden ever saw. Its streets ran red with the blood of its most loved citizens, and to this hour no Swede can speak without emotion of Stockholm's bloodbath. That night the houses of the murdered men were plundered, and their wives and daughters insulted. During the following days, these horrible murders were continued. Some burghers were hung, or suffered a more cruel death in their houses. The heads of the slain were transfixed upon poles, except the head of Bishop Matthias, which was laid between his feet. The bodies were left in the marketplace and torn by dogs. On Saturday, the corpses were carried out of the city. An old engraving represents them being hauled away upon low, one-horse sleds, the decapitated trunks being thrown on helter-skelter, and the heads piled in barrels, one of which stands on the forepart of each sled. A great funeral pyre was erected on the rocky height to the south of the city, where now Katarina Schirka raises its lofty doom, and here, as the victims had been executed on a charge of heresy, their bodies were burned. Furthermore, the corpses of the patriot leaders Stensture and his son 
were dragged from their graves and thrown upon the burning pile. Many noble Swedish ladies were carried to Copenhagen and thrown into the dungeons of the Blue Tower, a melancholy prison house, where numbers sickened and died, among them the mothers and sisters of Gustavus Vasa. The king soon dispatched emissaries into the country, by whom the bloodbath was continued. Even the learned Hemingad, now eighty years of age, was not spared. In December, Christian returned to Denmark, and his way thither across Sweden was stained with blood. At Linköping, he celebrated Christmas by breaking upon the wheel two of Sture's trusty servants. In Jönköping, he beheaded Lindholm Ribbing and his two little boys, eight and six years of age. The elder son was first decapitated. When the younger saw the flowing blood dye his brother's clothes, he said to the headsman, Dear man, don't let my shirt get all bloody like brothers, for mother will whip me if you do. This childish prattle touched the heart of even the grim headsman. Flinging away his sword, he cried, Sooner shall my own shirt be stained with blood than I make bloody yours, my boy. But the barbarous king beckoned to a more hardened butcher, who first cut off the head of the lad, and then that of the executioner who had showed mercy. At Mydala Kloster, on Candlemas Day, the abbot and monks were torn from the altar, where they were administering the sacrament, and, after being well beaten, were bound and cast into the lake. The monks sank at once, but the abbot, having burst his bounds, was able to keep on the surface, whereupon a long spear was thrust into his back, and he was pressed under water till he drowned. Some six hundred of the best men in Sweden were thus murdered before the bath of blood came to an end. Little wonder that Christian is always called the tyrant by the Swedes. No sane man acts without some object in view. Christian's object could not have been simply or chiefly the exercise of devilish cruelty, notwithstanding the fiendish ingenuity with which he went about this business. His real purpose was, undoubtedly, to cripple, and if possible, annihilate the patriotic party in Sweden. With this party he had been forced to go to war for the Swedish crown, and in this war he had been humiliated since, with all his forces by land and sea, he was unable to take Stockholm, within whose walls that brave and noble woman, Christina, widow of Stensture, made a most gallant and successful defence. By deceit and lying promises, Christian at last induced the brave defenders to open the gates of Stockholm and receive him as king. To his coronation were purposely invited the chief patriots of Sweden. The charge of heresy against them was trumped up as the most convenient pretext, and the bloodbath arranged that the king might, at one blow, get rid of his chief opponents in the land, and, by the manner of their taking off, intimidate all others from raising hand or voice against his power in Sweden. 
but this very bloodbath cost Christian his Swedish crown. End of section 36. This recording is in the public domain.